Well, good evening. We're glad you tuned in to the broadcast tonight from Whitfield Baptist Church. I'm Pastor Wayne Cofill, and I'm so excited about having Dr. Dan Reed preach for us uh, this night on revival. This is a recording of his revival in 2018 at our church. And last year in October, God called Dr. Dan Reed home, but he, he still lives on in his messages and his, and his, his family and, and all the people that he's touched. So I hope that you'll enjoy this message tonight on revival from Dr. Dan Reed. Well, looking forward to tonight. Appreciate Dr. Dan Reed. We've been knowing each other since the Civil War. So we're old friends, amen. And um, I'm telling you, that message this morning was a blessing. And you know, in his weakness, God is strong. And uh, I just appreciate everything about the service, the songs, uh, I just believe God prepared our hearts, and I want you to come prepared and don't have any prejudice, any uh, thing that's preoccupying you. Just open your heart to the message that the man of God has for us. Amen. And I believe God is going to speak to our hearts. And I want you to do this. I want you to pray right before he gets up here, Lord, speak to me. Lord, speak to me. Not the deacon, not the preacher standing in need of prayer. It's me, O oh Lord. Saying the need for if you'll do that, I promise you, you'll be blessed to be a blessing. And so, Brother Reed, come and preach. Thank you for being with us. Appreciate you being with us. Bless you, brother. I'm blessed to be here and honored to be here. My wife said to me on the way to the restaurant a little little while ago, she said, I feel like I've been to church. Amen. And, uh, it's a wonderful thing, I tell you. I'm, I'm uh, in a little different situation now than I have been in over 42 years. And uh, we're having to, when I don't preach, we're trying to visit churches to find out where we're going to locate and uh, settle in. And, and I'm going to tell you, churches are in a dearth. They're in trouble. And uh, you're blessed. You're blessed. Uh, coming in tonight, I noticed... We went by several churches. I didn't see anybody there. I don't think they're having services. And then I pulled up here and there's cars all over the place. That's wonderful. And this is a wonderful crowd tonight. Believe me, it's a wonderful crowd. You're blessed to be a part of this, this church. The, um, a lot of churches have canceled their Sunday night services. And uh, of those that are having them, in most cases... Uh, it's a handful of older people, and I see lots of young people here tonight. That's a blessing. I want you to know how much I enjoyed the choir. Uh, that's, a, that's great. I enjoy good singing, and I like it when choirs sing out and the songs you sing. It's just, just such a blessing, such a time of refreshing for us. I'd like for you to turn to Psalm 80. It's good to see the Gregory's here tonight, special friends. Of ours, twenty years ago, we went to Russia together, and had a great trip. Great trip, Russia and Latvia and Lithuania, and, and uh, on a mission trip, we went into the jails there, and uh, it was a tremendous trip. We learned to be great friends there. I remember when I got on the airplane to go to Russia, my wife was crying. I think she thought they were going to arrest me there and keep me. But they took one look and said, it's not worth feeding him. I mean, uh, just 
Not worth it. He needs too much. <laughs> I like to start the messages a little bit with humor because humor breaks down barriers. Somebody said the, the closest way to two hearts is through humor, and I think it's true. I heard a story about a young teenager that came to his dad, and he said, Dad, I need to talk to you about using the car. He was about 16 years of age. I need to talk to you about using the car. The dad said, son, well, before you can use the car, you've got to bring your grades up, and you've got to start reading your Bible more, and you've got to cut your hair. And uh, so a few months went by, and he came back to his dad, and he said, dad, I, let's talk about using that car again. And uh, the dad said, well, your grades have come up, and I have seen you reading your Bible, but you're going to have to cut your hair. And the, the boy said, well, dad, I've been studying on that. He said uh, Samuel had long hair, and he said John the Baptist had long hair, and he said some think Jesus had long hair. And the dad said, well, yeah, may be true, son. He said, but they walked everywhere they went. <laughs> dad was right on the ball, wasn't he? He was right, right on it. You know, uh, I retired a year and a half ago. You know why retired people smile all the time? It's because we can't hear what you're saying. We're <laughs> almost deaf, and so we just smile all, all the time. <laughs> I have some books out there that I've written through the years. And most of them are compilations of messages that I've edited and, and put them into book form, uh, but I trust you'll look over them. The one on Proverbs is not one of those. It's a book that I wrote over a period of 19 years. I just love the book of Proverbs. And so I just started making comments on every verse and researching it and finding the meaning. It is a resource book. It's not a book you're going to pick up and read for the most part unless you like commentaries. Most people don't just read commentaries. But if you like Proverbs, you'll enjoy that book. And uh, I, what I've done is taken the best of the best, Matthew Henry um, and many other commentators, and putting the best things you could find on that verse in that book. And uh, I think those, are there some more of those books out there, Donna? If not, I've got some more at home. I'll bring them the rest of the week. Another book, The Basis of Our Convictions, I would like for everybody to read on uh, where do we get our convictions? What do we base them on? And uh, what's the difference between a preference and a conviction? And uh, you can find those back there. My wife is usually there by the book table. Psalm 80 in your Bible. Psalm 80. And before I preach tonight, I want you to remember what you promised the Lord this morning, many of you. You promised to obey the Holy Spirit this week. Whatever the Holy Spirit says, revival comes. Charles Spurgeon said, that if you want to have revival, talk much about the Holy Spirit. Amen. Because it's the Holy Spirit of God that brings revival. Amen. And we must learn to listen to Him again. Remember, revival is new obedience. Psalm 80. I think I'll not read the whole verse, the whole chapter, for time's sake. I'll refer back to it some. But I want you to look at three similar verses, almost exactly alike. It's the refrain of the chapter. Verse 3 says, Turn us again, O God, and cause thy face to shine, and we shall be saved. You see it again in verse number 7. Turn us again, O God of hosts, 
and cause thy face to shine, and we shall be saved. And then you see it at the closing of the chapter in verse number 19. He says, Turn us again, O Lord God of hosts, cause thy face to shine, and we shall be saved. And I want to speak to you tonight on the subject of useful prayer for revival. How do we pray for revival? Well, here's a prayer right out of the scripture for revival. Our Heavenly Father, we need your power tonight. We need you to breathe on us. All is vain unless the Spirit of the Holy One comes and blesses your words. The letter killeth, but the Spirit giveth life. And we pray for the Spirit to breathe on this congregation tonight, on this, this feeble preacher. I pray you'd help us, and we'll thank you for it. In your name we ask it. Amen. A number of the Psalms were written by a fellow by the name of Asaph. In fact, about 15 of them. And here's a Psalm written about or by Asaph, probably written during the end of the Babylonian captivity. You remember that, that Israel went into captivity for 70 years. They were taken out of their homeland and went to a foreign land. And there they were in captivity for 70 long years. The false prophet said, you won't be here long. You're going to get out pretty soon. The prosperity preacher said, it'll be all over soon, and we'll be back in prosperity. But it didn't happen. And Jeremiah sent him a, a letter that said, no, you're going to be there 70 years. And very likely, Daniel was reading Jeremiah, and he was in Babylon, and he, uh, he had part of them getting ready in their prayers to get ready to go back to the land. But it was a time where there seemed to be a cloud over Israel. You see that in, verse, uh, in these verses, cause thy face to shine. Something's hiding your face, O Lord. We're not seeing you clearly. We're not experiencing your presence the way we'd like to. Cause thy face to shine. It was a dry time spiritually. Look at verse 2 and the last part of it, or the verse 2 itself. It says, before Ephraim, Benjamin, and Manasseh, stir up thy strength. Now those were the three tribes, by the way, that led the tabernacle. When the tabernacle traveled in the wilderness, those three tribes headed out first. And so he says here, Ephraim and Benjamin and Manasseh, before they go out, stir up your strength and come and save us. Look down in verse 4. O Lord God of hosts, how long wilt thou be angry against the prayer of thy people? How long they've been praying, God, take us back to our land. Take us back to our land. Get us back into the land of Israel. How long are you going to be angry with the prayer of thy people? Spurgeon said about that, for him to be angry at our sins is one thing. But for him to be angry at our prayers is a bitter grief. And it is. Do you think sometimes God is angry with the way that we pray? I think no doubt he is. But here is a prayer that he must have loved. Look at verse number 5. Thou feedest them with the bread of tears and givest them tears to drink in great measure. Thou makest us to strife to our neighbors and our enemies laugh among themselves. They were a reproach, you see. This is a prayer. It's a prayer in the midst of this psalm found three different times a prayer for revival. And I want to dissect the prayer. But as I do, 
I want us to pray that God will teach us how to pray for revival. How do we pray? How does God hear the prayers of His people when we pray or write? How should we pray? Let me give you six quick things tonight. Number one, it's a prayer. This prayer is a prayer for repentance. He says, turn us again, O God. Now notice those words, turn us. It's not that God's back is turned against us. By the way, when His back is turned against us, it's too late. Romans chapter 1 says that. There comes a time when it's too late when God turns His back on His people. I hope and pray it's not too late for us to have revival. He's not praying, turn, O God. He's saying, turn us, O God. It's a prayer to be turned because our backs have been turned on the Lord. In order to pray this prayer, we've got to recognize our need. And we have to recognize which way we're facing you see, sometimes we're in the presence of holy things, but we're facing away from them. One of the words used in the Old Testament, profane, and it's used of Esau in the New Testament, he was profane. It's the Hebrew word that means facing away from the temple. Esau was a profane man. He wasn't facing towards spiritual things. His brother was, but he was not. He was profane. And I think many times in our churches, we're profane. We're, we're, we're in the presence of God, but we're not facing spiritual things and living up to our, our name there. Repentance is what he's talking about. Turn us. Turn us. Do you know that repentance has substitutes? All repentance is not godly sorrow that worketh repentance. All repentance is not godly repentance. It has substitutes. It has counterfeits. We can say all the right things and not be truly repentant. We can say, I have sinned like Judas did. But Judas wasn't truly repentant. Judas was just repentant, was just sorry that he got caught. He was sorry for, and sometimes we're very much like that. Saul of the Old Testament, Saul said, I have sinned, David. I have sinned twice, he said it. I have sinned, but he didn't mean it. He turned right back to his old ways. Again, Pharaoh said, I have sinned, but he didn't mean it. It wasn't true repentance. Repentance has counterfeits. We may think we truly mean those words when we say them, and we may not have godly repentance of God turning us, you see. Matthew 15, Jesus said, You hypocrites, you pay tithe of men and anise and come and have omitted the way to your matters of the law. He said, In vain you do worship me, teaching for doctrines the commandments of men. He says, You speak the right things out of your lips. You say the right things. You use the right words. But it's not down in your heart. It's not true repentance. Again, have I... Have I repented for fear of consequences? Or have I repented because of a hatred of sin? Am I just afraid of what's going to happen to me if I sin? Or do I, do I repent because I've learned to hate sin the way God hates it? Do I talk against sin in public while failing to repent of it in private? I'm afraid we do. We talk often about things that we're against. And yet the little fines that spoil the fox, 
the little foxes that spoil the vines is true of us in our private life? Do I repent generally, but not specifically? Oh, how often we say things general. We get up in a meeting, say, I need to be a better husband. Why don't we get more specific? I need not be so selfish. I need to love my wife more. Why don't we be specific rather than general? Let's get down to where the rubber meets the road. That's when God is beginning to give real repentance. Proverbs 28, 13. He that covereth his sins shall not prosper, but whoso confesseth and forsaketh them shall have mercy. Do I repent of lesser sins while avoiding the greater sins? You pay tithe of men and anise and coming and have omitted the weightier matters of the law, Jesus said. Repentance is a gift from God. It cannot be manufactured. It cannot be trumped up or worked up. Acts eleven eighteen says, God hath granted to the Gentiles repentance unto life. Second Timothy 2, the servant of the Lord must not strive but be gentle to all men, apt to teach, patient in meekness, instructing those that oppose themselves. Listen, if God peradventure will give repentance to uh, the, the remission of life, turn us. I want you to look at, hold your place there in Psalm 80 and look back to Lamentations just a minute. Lamentations towards the last, the last part of Lamentations. That book was written when Jerusalem was being destroyed. And it is a book of lamentations by, by Jeremiah. Notice what he says in chapter number 5 and verse number 21. He says basically this same prayer. He says, turn thou us unto thee, O Lord. Turn us. Give us repentance. Turn us, O Lord. And we shall be turned. Renew our days as of old. Back when we were first saved, little things bothered us. God began to do a work because God was given repentance. That's what we need to have revival. A new sense of repentance in our life. Turn us. It's a prayer for genuine repentance, realizing you can't turn yourself. God has to give it. That's what revival is. It's when God comes and gives us repentance. Second of all, it's a prayer of reliance. It's a prayer of reliance. Notice what he says. Turn us again, O God. It's a reliance. It's not, it's not willpower. It's reliance upon God. Amen. Turn us again, O God. We're like the quadriplegic who cannot turn himself but must ask to be turned. Yes. I have a had a man in my church who had a motorcycle accident when he was about 19 years of age. And he was paralyzed from here down. No muscular activity whatsoever from here down. He's amazing. He gets himself in the car with his arms. I was out to eat with him the other day. And, and uh, if, I, if I live long, I'm losing my legs too. I'm hoping I won't lose them before I, before I go. But... I turn over maybe a hundred times a night and I noticed one night how much I use my legs just to turn over. And I asked him the other day, I said, how do you turn over at night? How do you move from your back to your side? He said, I have to lift myself up 
in the bed all the way and turn myself with my arms. He has no use whatsoever of his legs. But imagine being a quadriplegic. Imagine having no use of your arms and no use of your legs. Everything you did, you'd have to ask somebody else to do it. By the way, that's humbling. That's humbling. It's a prayer of dependence here, you see. We tend to think, we tend to think, and I always thought in my younger days, I have a strong will. And I, I did have a strong will. As I got older, I found out I'm not quite as strong willed as I thought I was. Because you just don't have as strong a will after 40 that you had before, before you were 40. I used to say the two strongest wills people in the world is Dan Reed and Donna Reed. That makes a good combination, doesn't it? I'm telling you. Uh, but I had a strong will at least. But I, but I want you to know something. The scripture says, if the Son therefore shall make you free, I believe in a free will. But if the Son therefore shall make you free, you'll be free indeed. You don't, you don't have a will to do the spiritual and godly thing until the Son makes you free. Even after we're saved, we have to beg God to empower our wills. Our wills. Thy people shall be willing in the day of my power. Have you walked with the Lord long enough and examined your own desires enough to understand that it's not our knowledge that keeps us out of sin? It's your will that keeps you out of sin. We don't sin because of a lack of knowledge. We sin because our willpowers. The thing that God saves the last totally is your will. My mind's been being transformed for 44 years now, but my will's still rebellious. O.A.W. Tozer said that the purpose of regeneration is to make worshipers out of rebels. Do you know what we are before we're saved? We're rebels. We're not good. We're rebels. And God has to turn our wills to want Him and to worship Him. That's why David prayed 11 times in Psalm 119. Quicken me, O Lord. Quicken me, quicken me, quicken me. It means to make alive, make alive, make alive my will. Do you not sense at times your own deadness and need of quickening? That your will needs to get going again? I have a message I preach from, Psalm, from, the, from Isaiah called Stir Up Yourself. Know what stirs you from that scripture that says there's none that stirreth up himself to take hold of God. Through the years, I've learned some things that stir me. Used to, Brother Wayne, I would go to soul winning visitation and sometimes when I was a little dead in myself, I'd get old Dr. Rice's books on soul winning and read them before I went so I could stir other people up. I know what stirs me through the years. There are certain messages that stir me. There are certain things I keep in my Bible that stir me up. But I want you to know something. There are times in my life where I can do all the right things to stir myself up and I still can't get myself stirred up. The will is like that, you see. We depend on the Lord and that's what this prayer is about. Turn us again. Oh God, let us learn that we rely on the Lord. The wind, Jesus said, bloweth where it listeth. 
and thou hearest the sound thereof, but canst not tell whence it cometh or whither it goeth. So is every one that's born of the Spirit. We don't always know when the wind of the Holy Spirit is going to blow, but we just need to keep our sails set and dependent upon Him so that when He blows, we're ready to move and ready to do what God says. It's a prayer of repentance. It's a prayer of reliance. Third of all, it's a prayer of relationship. It's a prayer that shows relationship. Notice what He says. Turn us. Not me. Turn us. It was a national prayer. A prayer for the nation. It shows that God's people are related to each other. And we have to be concerned not just for ourselves, but for the welfare of the whole church. Turn us. Psalm 85, 6 says the same thing. Wilt thou not revive us again, that thy people may rejoice in thee? This prayer acknowledges the importance of our relationship to the church. I'll tell you, in the last few months, I've come more and more to understand my need of a body of believers to be close to. We stir each other up. The embers keep each other on fire. We need the local church. We need to be close to the local church. Stir us, turn us. It's us we have to be concerned about. My family can't hurt or suffer without me hurting. One of my children hurt, I hurt. And my church can't suffer without me suffering. We're a body. And when our church needs revival, when we look across the way, when I feel deadness in my own spirit, and I look across the way and I see it in others, and we see it in each other, when, when we begin to sense that maybe a whole church needs something to happen, we begin to plead, not just turn me, but turn us. Turn us, oh God. Our need is not just individual. Our need is whole churches to be on fire for God. When God touches not just one here for a while and one here for a while, but when God begins to touch one and one and one and one and one and one and one, and after a while, revival's on. Turn us, oh God. Fourth of all, it's a prayer that needs to be repeated. Turn us again. Turn us again, O God. Wilt thou not revive us again, the psalmist said. Revival needs to be perennial. We need to be revived again and again and again. It's never over. As long as we're living, there's going to be times we're going to, the Lord's going to bring us revival and get us stirred up and then we're going to die down again. It's, this, it's the way nature is. So we have to pray it again and again and again. Somebody said to old Billy Sunday one day, they said, I don't believe in revivals. They don't last. He said, you believe in taking baths? They don't last either. You just go out and get dirty again. Have to take another bath. Churches need revival about yearly, at least every other year or so. The revival needs to come and stir us again to get out there and do the work, to be stirred up to study our, our Bibles, to be stirred up in our families, you see.
The godly man can't be content dirty. He can't be content dirty. And so he has to be cleaned over and over. Somebody said to me one day, we tried to have revival at least every other year. And when I say revival, it's kind of what you all have done. You've prepared by cottage prayer meetings. I prepared for revivals different than I prepared for every other meeting. Because I don't think you can just invite a speaker in and have revival, generally speaking. It's got to be prepared for. The hearts have got to be broken up. The fallow ground's got to be broken up. You've got to be ready to hear the word. Used to, they would meet in camp meetings. Back during farming times of harvest times, they would meet. And they would stay till revival comes. They'd come to stay during intervening times between harvest and planting time. And they'd come in their wagons and they would stay. And they would listen to preaching every day. They were breaking up the fallow ground. They were praying and preaching and praying. And revival would come. Amen. We don't do that today. We, we, our, the way we're made up and our society, our culture, we can't do those kind of things. So that means we've got to prepare other ways. That means we've got to have those cottage prayer meetings. That means we've got to have times of special prayer. And I believe, ladies and gentlemen, most of the time I could sense when we were going to have a great revival when, when in the prayer meetings before the revival ever started. Before the preacher ever got there, I could sense something's going on. There's a stirring among God's people. And it usually starts in the prayer meeting. It starts with God. Begin to All revivals somewhere, there's been prayer going on. Beseeching, begging, pleading, prayer. God, do it again. Do it again. You've done it in the past. Do it again. It has to be again and again. And again, you can't revive a church by increasing the activities of that church. I like it when I go by churches and I see cars there all the time or at night. Something's going on in that church. But activities don't make a church. It's not what revives a church. You ever heard the story of Jeremiah Lamphere? He was the man that God used in the 1859-1857 prayer revival in America. There were three great revivals in America in the early years. The first awakening in the early 1700s, the second awakening in the early 1800s, and then the great prayer revival which swept even over to Wales and England in 1857. An old Dutch Reformed church in New York was dying, and they called a man to come and helped them. Jeremiah Lanfear was his name. He began to visit the people that had dropped out of the church. One by one, he visited them, but he couldn't get them back. He formed a visitation program and, and tried to visit people around the city, but he couldn't get people in the church still. They were dying. They were just dying. So as a last resort, he called a prayer meeting. That next day, he called it at the lunch hour pinned up posters around the city. That next day, there were six men that showed up. The next day, there were a few more. The next day, the Bank of Philadelphia failed. And the country went into a depression. And people were laid off work. 
and prayer meetings came up everywhere. Within a few months, there were 10,000 men praying at the noon hour. In that time, there were 13 million some odd people in the, new, in, the England, in the 13 states. Over a million people were converted in the prayer meeting, the prayer meetings of those years. In fact, the people said we prefer prayer to preaching. And they were in the prayer meetings, people were converted. It was an amazing thing. What God does when people get stirred up. We need that again. Turn us again, O oh God. America needs to be turned again. I said this morning, a revival is not going to come in on Air Force One. It's not going to come in without, with our Congress. I thank God for some things that are being done, but the populace of the people hasn't changed. The grassroots people are still just as immoral as they've ever been. We need revival. Turn us again. Oh God. Fifth of all, it's a prayer for removal of the cloud. It's a prayer of removal of the cloud. Cause thy face to shine. You see it three different times in those verses. Cause thy face to shine. Do you know the word face in the Old Testament is one of the same words translated presence? Cause your presence to come. Your presence. Cause your face to shine. That phrase, cause your face to shine, or the face to shine, is found several times in the Scriptures. And it simply means remove the veil that hides your face. Bring your presence again. It speaks of His blessing. It speaks of His manifest presence, of the felt presence of God. It's like being in an airplane, and I'm sure all of you have done it. Taking off on a very cloudy day, and somehow you eventually reach up to where you're above the clouds, and all of a sudden the sun's just as bright as it can be. The sun was, as, was there all the time. It was just the clouds that hid there. That's the, that's the phraseology that, is, that he's using here. This is a prayer for the removal of the cloud. Lord, let us see your face again. Let us, let us sense your presence again. It's a prayer like the song, nothing between my soul and the Savior. None of this world's delusive dream. I have renounced all sinful behavior. Keep the way clear with nothing between. Nothing between. I want to ask you tonight, is there anything between you and the face, the presence of God? If the Lord Jesus were to come and stand before you and say, what is it that stands between me and you? And you had to get real honest with Him. What is it? I believe you could hit it. D.O. Moody said one day to his crowd, he said, confess your sins. Stand up and confess your sins. One lady stood up and said, I don't know what they are. He said, lady, get down here. Guess at them. You know what they are. All of us know what holds us back. Not a doubt about it. That's what he's talking about. Remove the cloud. And I can see your face again.
If there's nothing between my soul and the Savior, there's no greater blessing God gives to a church or to an individual than His manifest presence. Sixth of all, this is a prayer for rescue. We shall be saved. We shall be saved. The word salvation or saved are used in at least four different contexts in the Scriptures. Maybe more, but at least four. First of all, sometimes when we talk about salvation, we're talking about salvation from sin. Christ will save His people from their sins. Sometimes we're talking about salvation from Satan. Sometimes we're talking about salvation from a sorrow or a sorrowful situation. And sometimes we're talking about a particular situation. Particularly in the Old Testament, it's used that way many times. When it uses the word salvation, there's a particular situation they're praying to be saved from. And that's the case here. It's the case of them being in the land of Babylon. We shall be saved. We shall be taken out of this situation that we're in. It's, 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 it's that type of salvation that he's talking about. You know, it's my opinion, and it's just my opinion, that churches bicker and quarrel for two reasons. Number one, when they're hungry. If they're not fed properly, they will bicker and quarrel. You know, the only time sheep fights when they're hungry. It's the only time they fight. The second reason churches bicker and quarrel is because they're not right with God. And when we're not right with God, we're soon wrong with other, other people too. When an orchestra gets itself tuned to each other, it first tunes to the tuning fork. They don't tune to each other. They first tune to the tuning fork. It's so easy. I pastored for 43 years. It's so easy in a church like our kind of churches. We're together a whole lot. Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. Visitation times, we're together a whole lot. We rub elbows a whole lot like a family. And it's easy, particularly as our children grow and things happen in churches. We sometimes get our, our feelings hurt. Sometimes things happen between people. And we need to be gotten right. Things need to be gotten right. It's so easy for walls to build in a church. Little resentments. We don't think it's anything. It's no big deal except when I want to get thoroughly right with God, that comes up. I had a man call me a few years ago. He was in the church where I pastored in Selmer. Something happened and as a teenage boy, and I had to take some measures. And he and his family got crossways with me. I tried every way I could to try to rectify and make the thing situa situated right, but nothing worked. Twenty years went by. Twenty years. I wrote this boy a letter and told him if he didn't make things right, he was going to suffer for it. Twenty years went by. He became a grown man, had a family. He wanted to get right with God. He wanted to get thoroughly right with God. He got me on the phone. 
They traveled, he and his dad traveled all the way from Selmer down to Ackworth, stayed in a motel, came to church, met with me after the church morning, morning service and said, please forgive us. We're sorry. We're sorry we got ill with you. I don't know how many times, I'm sure it's happened to you, how many times that's happened. I want to tell you something, ladies and gentlemen, when you want to get right with God, you want to get right with your neighbor. You want to get right with each other. You want to make sure that all is right between me and my brother. When a church begins to sense any deadness, any walls coming up, it needs to plead with the Lord to be saved, to be rescued, you see. The reason churches die or they move into modernism or they use all kind of worldly methods and attractions to keep people is because they don't have periodic revival. Revival is the cure for what people use all these other things to do in a church to get people. Let me tell you, when revival comes to a church, people are attracted by the warmth. They're attracted by the fervency. They're attracted by the love they have for each other. They're attracted by what they're talking about that God's doing in their church. And it attracts people. You don't have to use all the methodology. The strange fire in most churches is caused by refusal to seek God for His fire. Turn us again, O God. Turn us again, O God. And cause Thy face to shine and we shall be saved. Would you pray it? Turn us again. Turn us again. Our Heavenly Father, how we need in our churches. And Lord, in all likelihood, and I certainly wouldn't dictate to Thee, but a good church, a godly church, is where revival comes. It's where people are the most right. It's when my people which are called by my name. They're known as Christians. They're the out-and-out out type. It's those that are called by His name that have the most responsibility to have revival. God, make it to be true. Speak to us. Stir us again. Turn us. Turn us. Because we're helpless to turn ourselves. Move in our midst, we pray. Our heads are bowed for just a moment. One question tonight, and I'll give it over to Brother Cofield. What do you desire to see in this revival? In these few nights of revival, what do you desire to see? Is there a lost person you've been praying for you'd like to see saved? Is there a family member that needs to be turned around and turned back to God? The greatest revival I was ever in personally started when our adults began to pray for the teenagers. In the cottage prayer meetings, God, do something with our teenagers. Do something. They're dying. They're dead. 
They're lackadaisical. They're lethargic. When the revival ended, the teenagers were praying, Oh God, touch the adults. Touch them like you've touched us. Stir them like you've stirred us. What do you want to see? Whatever things you desire when you pray, believe that you receive them and you'll have them. Under, under your faith, according to your faith, be it unto you. Open your mouth wide and I'll fill it. Claim the promises tonight. Open your mouth wide. What do you want to see? Perhaps some of you ought to come tonight and tell God and maybe tell the pastor, this is what I need to see. This is what I want to see. If God doesn't work, I'd like to see God do this. May God help us tonight. May God do it again.